We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the RotoWire Fantasy Baseball Podcast brought to you by Underdog Fantasy and Fantrax. I'm your host, James Anderson. And on this week's episode, I'll be doing a mailbag uh, in response to my top 400 prospect rankings update, which went live yesterday on Tuesday. Uh, this is my second update of the year. The first one was January 15th, um, which is kind of the big offseason update. Uh, this one, you know, you're factoring in uh, some players that maybe I missed on the, the January 15th update. You're factoring in... Uh, players who've made waves this spring, maybe players who've gotten injured, uh, players whose team context has changed a little bit uh, due to free agency. Uh, so there's a lot that gets factored in on this update. I really don't like this update uh, relative to uh, a lot of the other updates. I think the, uh, the spring training update, end of spring training update, uh, which is this one, and then the Memorial Day update, those are probably my two least favorite because you're just working with really small samples. You're working with incomplete samples. When we're talking about all the different uh, prospects on this, on these rankings, you know, over half of them, there's really nothing new to kind of go on from the last update. And then with a lot of these guys, a lot has changed. So uh, it's just, it feels like kind of an incomplete uh, amount of information. Um, so it's not, it's not my favorite update, but it's a, it's a necessary update. It's a, it's an update where I can right some wrongs from, from the prior one and hopefully not overreact too much to, to what's been happening uh, in the spring. Uh, let's get right into things. Uh, first question is from John McKechnie, our local uh, NFL college football sports betting extraordinaire here at Rotowire. Uh, Got to go with his question first. And he wants to know, and John's a, John's an O's fan. Did the O's get it right or wrong by starting Grayson Rodriguez at AAA? And what does he need to show in the minors? Uh, I, you know, I wasn't drafting Grayson Rodriguez this uh, off season um, for a variety of reasons, but uh, you know, his command and control, uh, at least just by the numbers, the, the walk rate numbers, uh, have not been very good since the shoulder injury last year. Uh, and so that kind of continued over in the spring. He definitely missed plenty of bats. Uh, he's got really, 
electric stuff, arguably the best stuff in all the miners. But uh, I think the strike throwing and just, I don't think the worst case scenario for Baltimore, I think was to start Rodriguez up, have him really get, uh, you know, put up some rough numbers, really struggle, maybe lose confidence. And then have to send him to AAA. I think that it, it does make more sense to me to try to let him kind of go to AAA, be awesome, and and come right up uh, whenever whenever there's a spot. I, I do also think that Kyle Bradish and Tyler Wells were uh, guys that I, I wanted to see in that rotation. Um, maybe you would have uh, Rodriguez in there at the expense of Dean Kramer, uh, but you know, Dean Kramer had an okay spring, so. I, I get it. Uh, I don't think there was anything really nefarious going on here. I think the O's would have loved it if, if Rodriguez had been one of their best pitchers in camp and, and they could have broken camp with him. So uh, I didn't have a problem with it. Uh, Mike Sheets asks, uh, any interest in Hunter Gaddis in deeper formats now that he's joining the Guardians rotation? And then Brothers Judd also wanted to know if Hunter Gaddis is a prospect or filler. Uh, I would add him in deeper formats strictly for next week's projected start in Oakland. Uh, he's, he's basically rotation filler, but uh, solid low to mid nineties fastball uh, plus changeup, uh, you know, okay. Third pitch. So I, I wouldn't expect him to be going much more than five innings per start, even when he's pitching well, uh, but his command was, was seemingly better uh, in the spring. Uh, so I, I'd view him as a spot starter. Uh, I would not want to use him this week in Seattle, for instance, but next week, uh, assuming that he does line up to start in Oakland, I would feel fine streaming him in, in pretty much any uh, format there. Uh, Sonny says, you have Junior Caminero at 40 overall already. Uh, which other high upside teenager do you see joining Caminero in the top 50 and how can they rise this season? Oh, how high can they rise this season? So I was just kind of looking at the next you know, handful of, of teenagers along with Caminero who could kind of keep really climbing. Uh, there are some teenagers who are ahead of Caminero, um, so obviously not going to mention them. But uh, I think Jet Williams, uh, Josue DePaula, Miguel Blaise, I think I've got them back to back to back or, or close to that. Uh, I, I think they're all uh, going to have big seasons. Um, they all have very high fantasy ceilings. So I could see Williams, DePaul, and Blaise climbing uh, well inside the top 50. And then Samuel Zavala uh, with the Padres and Xavier Isaac with the Rays are also guys kind of at the back of the top 100 uh, who are teenagers who uh, have, have a ton of upside uh, offensively and uh, could climb uh, inside the top 50. Uh, maybe one of those guys gets as high as like top 15 by the end of the year, including Caminero, but I, I'd be more so sort of hoping for kind of consensus top 40, top top 30 uh, prospect at the end of the season with these guys. Uh, Ted Morgan, any news on Khalil Watson? I saw Skip Shoemaker was impressed and he's going to high A, but anything else? Uh, with Watson, it's it's a good sign that he's been a positive story in camp. Not necessarily surprising, uh, but you know, the vid, from the video I've seen, I know Jeff Ponce got eyes on him uh, recently. The the elite bat speed is still there. 
Uh, very tough player to rank because the talent is off the charts and the makeup is a massive question, as is the hit tool. Uh, those are, you know, makeup and hit tool, those are kind of tied together with Watson because, you know, he could get frustrated. He can, um, you know, it can kind of spiral for him. So uh, I think you're seeing how he does at high A, if he's uh, making contact at a, at a solid enough clip, then the power number should be uh, very excellent. The, the stolen base number should be excellent. So uh, he's still a very volatile prospect, tough to rank, but uh, he he made a positive impact, it, it seemed, at least uh, this spring. Uh, Jason Erb says, uh, Ryan Noda is an unknown to me. Was there ever hype around him in the past? What are the chances of catching lightning in a bottle with him? Uh, so he was on the top 400 uh, for all of 2018 and some of 2019, Ryan Noda. And that was when he was with the Blue Jays. Uh, he got as high as 140 overall for me in the summer of 2018. And this was mostly based on uh, just his his command of the strike zone, his plus raw power. Uh, since then, it's become uh, more evident that he could steal maybe eight to 10 bases over a full season. But we're also talking about a 26-year-old Rule 5 pick who's probably going to be given very limited action early in the season. Uh, chances that are, chances are pretty low that he catches lightning in a bottle, but he's intriguing enough that I've got him ranked on the top 400. And if it ever appeared like he was about to get regular work, he has the tools uh, to p- potentially become mixed league worthy. All right. Eric Galing, uh, when should we realistically expect Gavin Williams and Connor Norby up? Uh, so Williams, basically, as soon as he's mastered AAA, um, which I would think would probably be around May or June, uh, if, you know, if he's healthy and he's pitching really well at AAA, I think you might see Williams. Uh, and then it's, it's just really complicated with, uh, Connor Norby, that whole Baltimore infield situation, uh, specifically kind of like the middle infield, uh, because, um, you know, Gunner, I think, is kind of got third, and, and Malcastle's kind of got first. Um, Kobe Mayo could eventually take on first base, and Malcastle could move to DH. But uh, we've really got a bunch of talented players who are young and potential building blocks for this O's team, and only a couple spots for them to play uh, at shortstop and second base. So Ramon Urias, Jordan Westberg, Joey Ortiz, and maybe even indirectly Connor Norby's competing with Jorge Mateo. And so just, just Norby being really good at triple a by June doesn't guarantee anything. If Ramon Urias and Jorge Mateo have been uh, better than expected, I don't think the Orioles are just going to move them to a utility role just to, to move them. Uh, Jordan Westberg could be, be playing just as well as Connor Norby. And he's, he's more defensively versatile. Joey Ortiz is on the 40-man roster, and he's the best defender of all these guys other than Mateo. So it's just a very complicated situation, not a situation. You know, I liked the price on Joey Ortiz uh, way back in, in early draft and hold season when he was kind of an endgame guy, but I just haven't really liked the price on Norby or Westberg for uh, draft and hold leagues because it's just very unclear when we see those guys playing regularly. 
Uh, Danny J had a Jordan Westberg question. He said he got a big bump. What are the expect expectations for his call up in production? Uh, Westberg's big bump was actually the January 15th update. I, I think I only moved off about 10, 12 spots on this one. Uh, but you know, he's, he's kind of a jack of all trades, master of none, good athlete, kind of a, a deceivingly good athlete. Uh, he, you know, he can chip in some speed. He's going to, he's going to be like a 20 plus Homer guy. I think at peak, he's going to get on base at a decent clip. He's not going to kill your batting average. Uh, maybe kind of reminiscent to uh, really good Jonathan India from a couple of years ago, uh, where he's kind of like a four, four and a half category guy, uh, depending on where the batting average shook out. Um, so yeah, just I'm, I'm I'm confident in the skills with really all those guys that we're talking about. I, I don't think Jorge Mateo is a good enough hitter to play for the Orioles when they're at full strength, but they just have a ton of options, so it's hard to hard to know exactly how that'll shake out. A uh, couple more questions about that Guardians rotation. Patrick uh, and, and Tom Braun basically were asking Tanner Bibby or Gavin Williams with the Tristan McKenzie McKenzie injury news. Uh, who's up first is what Tom wanted to know of those guys. So Williams has better stuff and more upside than Bibby and Williams will reportedly be starting at triple a while Bibby's going to be starting at double a. So I think it's, it's kind of clear that there is a, a hierarchy there where Williams is in front of Bibby. Uh, and then, like I said, uh, maybe June, like if, if you get to the all-star break and Gavin Williams is pitching really well and he's still not up, uh, I'd, I'd be disappointed, but uh, I think he's the type of guy also where he's dealt with, some injuries uh, in his career that I kind of think Cleveland, if, if they, they think he's ready to get big league hitters out as a starter, I think they'll, they'll just start the, start the clock on, on Williams. Uh, Ross Red K. Uh, what have, what has you significantly lower on Christian Vaccaro than other top DSL guys? Uh, wasn't a great first year in terms of the stat line, but the plate discipline numbers appear to be solid. And it sounds like the tools are very much still in place. Uh, so I, I don't really see any evidence yet that he's, uh, you know, going to start hitting for notable game power anytime soon. Uh, his worst tool is his power, uh, specifically his game power and his second worst tool is probably his hit tool. Uh, just not ideal is it, that's not the type of player who's usually going to just rocket through a system when the glove and the speed are kind of ahead of the bat. Uh, I also wasn't that high on him in the first place uh, for, for those reasons, really. Uh, like the highest I ever had, Vaccaro, was 197, which was right after he signed, basically. So he didn't have that fall to far or that far to fall um, for me, at least. Um, you know, I'd, I'd take Lazaro Montes over Vaccaro all day just because, you know, all that has to click for Montes is you know, get the, get the strikeouts kind of in like a 25, 26% range, and he could just take off like a rocket ship. Uh, Ross Redke says he's seeing some positive reports on Jason Morabell recently. Uh, looks like a fun upside play, uh, but is there a carrying tool here? Uh, Morabell is a, an outfielder with the Ranger, Rangers, who I, I like a lot as well. He's inside my top 200. Uh, I think the power uh, should be a carrying tool with Morabell. Uh, he hits the ball really hard. He added more muscle over the winter. Uh, so if he can kind of maintain the same strong swing decisions he showed last year, I think he could really break out and look like a guy that's going to hit enough to play every day in a corner outfield spot. 
Peter Taylor, uh, who are a few names to watch this year who could be a Jordan Walker type of player a year from now. Uh, so Jordan Walker is a very big player with a ton of impact potential offensively who runs pretty well for his size and uh, dominated as a younger player for the levels he was at. So um, I don't think any of these are, are really good, like one-to-one comparisons, but uh, Emmanuel Rodriguez with the twins is a guy that I think could uh, kind of shoot up. It, you know, people are going to see like the exit velo stuff on him. And uh, if he kind of has a similar sort of strikeout and walk rate as, as Jordan Walker at, at high in double a junior Caminero, Elijah, Elijah Green actually is is maybe the most similar to Walker of these guys um, from just a what are all the tools standpoint. He's he's a, a, a better athlete and uh, an even better runner than than Walker. But uh, that could be one like if Elijah Green just hits more than people expect. Because I mean, there were a lot of people didn't think Jordan Walker was going to hit a ton uh, in terms of average and, and strikeouts uh, coming out of high school. Uh, Cam Collier, Josue DePaula, Xavier Isaac, Anthony Gutierrez, Lazaro Montes. Uh, some of those guys are a year younger than, than Walker was last year. Some of them uh, come with more question marks, less proven. Um, but, you know, we're talking kind of big, impactful guys who are going to hit the ball hard. Um, maybe in the case of like Green and DePaula and Gutierrez, they, they help with the, their legs as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not easy to find a, a guy like Jordan Walker. Uh, the Fantasy Shrink says, what do you think Anthony Volpe's BABIP will be like? Obviously, it's a range, but considering his uh, 56% fly ball rate and 22.6 uh, infield fly ball rate last year, I have his BABIP between 240 and 280. You can't outrun caught outs. Uh, and then um, Herb, Herb, Herb Culey's, uh asked for a rebuilding team. Is Anthony Volpe a definite keeper, or should I be treating his debut as peak value for a trade? So uh, first with the fantasy shrinks question, uh, I noticed a lot of that same stuff. Uh, that's partly why I was lower than probably anyone on Volpe heading into spring training, uh, which doesn't look good for me now. Uh it's kind of a classic, you know, which means more to you situation of players track record in the upper levels the year before or a player's spring breakout that exceeds expectations. Uh, I kind of tried to sort of meet in the middle a little bit with where I was before, but still not. Um, I still don't feel comfortable with Volpe as a, as a top five prospect. Uh, I think a, a 270 to 285 BABIP seems reasonable to me. Uh, could be better, could be worse. Um, and to the Herb Culey's question, uh, you know, Volpe's probably the number one prospect I'd be looking to cash out right now in Dynasty Leagues, just in terms of the one that would kind of send the most waves through the league, the, the one that you would get the most back for. Uh, I'm not against trading Jordan Walker right now either, but I feel better about Walker uh, just – kind of staying up all season and, and being uh, pretty productive, even though he, I think he's going to go through some, some growing pains with, with his hit tool as well. Um, but if you're going to cash out Volpe, 
Um, I mean, so part of the, re- the reason why I think he's he's a guy to, to trade right now is it's just, you know, you've got guys like taking this guy in the top 100 in Vegas main event leagues. Like that, it's possible that that's the only time that ever happens. Uh, this might be the only year where Volpe goes in the top 100 in main event leagues. He could, he could end up being... Uh, an, an annual second round pick uh, if he if he hits his ceiling if he runs uh, as much as some people expect him to uh, but I just think there's probably and, and he's a Yankee and there's probably someone in your dynasty league who just has so much FOMO with Volpe right now that they would give you a really outlandish uh, package uh, but I don't I don't think you want to and, and Hercules is a rebuilding team uh, you got to be careful what you do trade him for, though. It's it it can't just be three teenagers who have upside. Uh, you need to get some proximity and upside back. You you should also maybe try to get a a lottery ticket teenager back. Uh, it's just you don't, don't trade him just to trade him. But my guess is you could get something for Volpe that I would click accept on right now. But uh, you could also just say, well, you've been too low on Volpe. I went from I was the high ban of Volpe originally. I think I was the first person to rank him as a top fifteen prospect. But like recently, I've I've been the the low man on him. Um, so maybe you could just say, well, you were wrong about that. You're gonna be wrong about this. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, Frankito Jones is Kyle Manzardo's slight drop due to you liking other players more. Uh, the Rays' depth and history of platooning players, or both. Uh, I'm just less confident now than I was a few months ago that. Uh, Manzardo will reach the majors this summer. I've changed his ETA to 2024 on the site. I just think the the Rays have enough bodies to sort of cycle through at first base in DH this year before adding Manzardo to the 40-man. Uh, he could kick the door down. This is a team that wants to win a World Series. I don't think they're going to keep someone who's clearly one of their five or six best hitters at AAA Uh just to just to raise him if if that's an open spot, but if they're getting production from like Isak Paredes and Yandy Diaz and Curtis Mead, uh, or maybe Jonathan Aranda kind of comes into his own in the in the second half or something, I there's enough guys there that I think Harold Harold Ramirez is still there. Uh, there's there's just enough guys there that are kind of in his way, uh, and then all the guys I moved ahead of him. Um, Miguel Vargas, Anthony Volpe, Curtis Mead, Josh Young, Royce Lewis, uh, Jason Dominguez. All those guys other than Dominguez will be playing in the majors this year. And Dominguez is just, uh, I thought he's been impressive enough uh, this spring uh, and dating back to last year that, um, yeah, him and him and Manzardo might both debut early 2024. Uh, Dynasty Junkie. I'd like to hear your thoughts on the top starting pitchers in general, uh, specifically how Brandon Fott has surpassed uh, Grace and how Gavin Stone has closed the gap on Grayson Rodriguez. Seems premature in both cases, but I know the looks have been good. Uh, you know, Saris has crazy stuff plus numbers on Rodriguez. Uh, so I was on the fence about putting uh, Fat over Rodriguez and then like I, I was really that that kind of fat Rodriguez, Hunter Brown, Gavin Stone. Uh, I kind of went back and forth on the order. 
of those four a few times. And then when the Orioles sent Rodriguez to AAA, that was just kind of the the nudge I needed to go with my gut there and put fat over him. Uh, Fat threw more than double the innings Rodriguez did last year, did not deal with a shoulder injury last year, has shown much better command and control since Rodriguez's shoulder injury. Uh, These aren't, these aren't stuff plus rankings. Uh, I think it's, it's, awesome work that Eno does with with stuff plus it's awesome that it's available on fan graphs now uh but there's just so much more that goes into valuing a pitching prospect for dynasty to me than than stuff uh it's very important i mean i don't know if grace rodriguez outside my top 25 or you know i still have him um pretty damn high for a pitching prospect on my rankings but uh, you know, how, what's the likelihood a pitcher is going to be providing bulk innings and commanding his pitches? Uh, just fat wins those decisively to me right now. And I think they're both going to uh, be up in April, maybe May. And I think fat's going to throw 50 more innings than Rodriguez this year. Uh, so I, I, I see a very high ceiling with all those guys. Um, and then Gavin Stone, just feels he just feels so much more ready to help fantasy teams in a major way in the standings than Uri Perez, Ricky Tiedemann. Uh, that you know, I think there was a chance that either Perez or Tiedemann had kind of the spring that Andrew Painter was having before his injury, and all of a sudden we're talking about these guys as you know dark horse candidates to break camp in the rotation. Uh, that didn't happen with either guy. Uh, Tiedemann dealt with a shoulder thing. So I just think Gavin Stone, how big is the gap in upside between Stone and, and like Uri Perez and Ricky Tiedemann? I don't even think there is a gap to me, really. Like you're talking about a Dodgers pitcher. Uh, look how valuable Tyler Anderson was last year. And Gavin Stone is just like another couple levels more in terms of stuff than Tyler Anderson. Uh, he just was dominant in the spring. He was dominant last year. Uh, team context is, is excellent. Uh, I just, I felt like if I'm on the clock and I'm taking a pitching prospect for dynasty, uh, I'm going to take the guy that I think is going to help me this year and going forward. Um, and I think, and that's, that's stone. Um, so I, I even considered having Stone ahead of Rodriguez. Uh, all right, uh, more of your questions, but first, a message from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. The fantasy baseball season is underway, and there's no better place to play than underdog fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy baseball. Right now, Underdog has MLB Best Ball tournaments live, including the Dinger, which has 500K in total prizes. In Best Ball, all you do is join a contest, draft your team, and that's it. There are no waivers, no trades, and no in-season management. Draft 20 rounds of players and get the best cumulative scores in your starting lineup. Three pitchers, three infielders, three outfielders, and one flex each week of the regular season. Getting started is simple. Go to underdogfantasy.com, sign up with the promo code RWMLB, and not only will Underdog double your initial deposit up to 100, but you'll also get six months of our RotoWire subscription for free. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy, promo code RWMLB. Draft your 100K Dinger team today. Fantrax is the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience for your dynasty, keeper, redraft, and best ball leagues. Fantrax will once again be the host site of the Highlander Dynasty Invitational. We'll be doing some podcasts during the season about our in-season keeper decisions in that fantastic dynasty league. And we really couldn't do any of it if it wasn't on fan tracks. Uh, it would just be a lot of tedious work. Uh, I mean, the interface alone is just a massive upgrade from, from some of the other competitors sites and you just get so much more freedom, uh, so much easier to locate the free agents you're going to want to add in season uh, you'll be able to sort with advanced stats right away. Uh, middle of April, you, you'll be able to sort uh, any type of players you want based on uh, what they've been producing early in the season very easily. Uh, so I think you got to be playing on, on fan tracks if you're playing Dynasty. Uh, sign up for free today and be entered to win an official MLB signed jersey from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Simply go to fantrax.com slash rotowire and sign up today. That's F-A-N-T-R-A-X.com slash rotowire. Fantrax, the home of fantasy sports. Baseball is back. Swing into the MLB season with vivid seats and score tickets to all the hottest matchups and biggest name, biggest games of the year. Every crack of the bat, every deep fly, and every heart-pounding double play of your favorite team live and in person. Plus, with vivid seats rewards, now you earn rewards with every single purchase. Each ticket you buy gets you closer to your reward 
Just buy 10 tickets and simply cash in your credit toward your 11th ticket purchase. It's that easy. Pro reward tip, buy tickets for your whole group, split the bill, and make progress towards your free 11th ticket even faster. From behind the plate to the upper deck, Vivid Seats has great tickets for all the 2023 games that matter to you. Just visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. See vividseats.com slash rewards for terms and conditions. All right, we are back. Uh, O's flows. I love Miguel Vargas, but four overall seems a bit high for a guy with a relatively low ceiling. Do you see growth in power coming or more stolen bases than he showed in the minors? And then uh, also got a similar question from John. What about Miguel Vargas' spring made you bump him to number four overall and above so many other guys? I would also like to hear a bit about the leap for Brandon Fott over Grayson Rodriguez. So, yeah, I, I covered the Fott versus Rodriguez thing uh, before the break there. Uh, so, Vargas, this is like, you know, I, I love you, O's Flows. Uh, uh, love the support. But one of my bigger pet peeves is when people talk about a guy like Miguel Vargas and just go straight to the low ceiling comment it's like somehow having a really good hit tool means you have a low ceiling uh but if you have a worse hit tool than vargas like jordan walker uh like anthony volpe then you have a high ceiling um just because of your stolen bases or your your home runs uh you know the hit tool is the most important of all the tools when it comes to fantasy value uh you're not getting to the other stuff without that and Vargas has arguably uh, the best hit tool of any of the non-Corbin Carroll, Gunnar Henderson prospects in the game. In fact, I think I would say he does. It's probably between like him and Curtis Mead. Uh, so I think he has a high ceiling. Uh, there's nothing that peak Ozzy Albies did for fantasy that Vargas couldn't do. Like that's all within reach. Ozzy Albies was getting taken at the one, two turn in drafts last year. Uh, so you know, I think he could steal 20 bases. I think he could hit 30 home runs. I think he could hit 300. Uh, I think he could hit very high in a very good lineup. Uh, there's just all these different ways that he's going to help your fantasy team. So um, I, you know, I kind of looked at things. I looked at the landscape. Uh, you know, maybe I would take a Jackson Churio or a Jordan Lawler over a Miguel Vargas if I am – a rebuilding team because the fact that Vargas is going to be up right away uh, doesn't matter that much if you're, if you're rebuilding, but I think more teams in your dynasty league would rather have the guy who's up and playing and really good uh, than the guys they have to wait four or five months on. But um, that's at least how I would, would view it. I would be okay with um, Lawler or Churio if I'm rebuilding, but uh, otherwise I would take Vargas. All right. Charlie's. Thoughts on Andy Pejas and is Josue DePaula the next big thing? The comps some people are saying are ridiculous. And then he mentions Juan Soto and Jordan Alvarez as the ridiculous comps. Uh, so Pejas is a plus slugger who I think will hit around like 230 uh, in the majors um, if he's playing every day. 
and he's behind in 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 that org. He's behind James Altman, obviously. He's behind Johnny DeLuca, who uh, are better prospects than him, closer to the majors than him. So I think they'll trade uh, Pejas if the opportunity presents itself. And then you like he's the type of guy like you would want Pejas on the Reds, right? Like he's I just don't think he's going to be good enough to play enough for the Dodgers. Uh, when you factor in everything like the power, the power is great, but um, he's just extremely power over hit. Um, so I'd, I'd love a trade if I had pay house in a dynasty league and then DePaula, uh Yeah. I mean, he's it's, it'd be kind of weird. I mean, there were definitely, you know, I was very high on Ronald Acuna and, and Juan Soto and stuff as, as teenagers before they really blew up. Uh, but, it doesn't happen that often when the guy that everyone is kind of predicting to be that guy, uh, you know, that's what DePaul is this off season. Like he's sort of just the most obvious when someone says, who's the next Jackson Churio uh, to me, DePaul is just kind of like the most obvious pick there uh, based on what he did last year and just how steep his upward climb could be um, with an awesome start to this year. Uh, so, uh, I don't think it's fair. Like, Jordan Alvarez is such a good hitter. Juan Soto is such a good hitter. I wouldn't comp a single prospect in the game to those guys. Uh, it's just, like, you're just going to be wrong if, if you start comping guys to, to Alvarez. But I know that, that you know, people in Dodgers camp are calling him baby, Al- baby Jordan or whatever. Um I think he has maybe some similar characteristics to those guys and his super advanced approach. He's very physical, a uh, good athlete for his size. So like probably a better athlete for his size than Alvarez ever was. Uh, so I guess I would say, yes, those comps are ridiculous, but also if I have to pick someone who's going to be the next big thing, who's not already ranked as like a top 20 prospect, uh, DePaul is a, a pretty good pick. Andrew Price, how would you rank the priority of traits when assessing a prospect? For example, with a hitter, is it their contact rate, swing decisions, plate discipline, position, frame, athleticism, age level, etc.? Well, this one, I mean, this one is very sort of open-ended, but I'll do my best on it. Um, So it's it's kind of a, a combination of all of those things and other things, but they all sort of relate to each other. So if a player is, like you mentioned, uh, you know, position, if a player is at the bottom of the defensive spectrum, like a, a first baseman or a DH, uh, then we have to care even more about the stuff like the swing decisions, the plate discipline, the game power, that just it's so critical if a guy is, is a first baseman or DH, they have to just mash and they have to do it pretty much everywhere. And that's just more important at, at those positions than if you have a, a super athletic shortstop who's gonna steal a bunch of bases uh and and get to solid power, then like you know, you can kind of get by with with worse swing decisions, right? Um it's like I love I love athletic position players. Uh, that's 
probably my favorite thing in a position player is uh, useful athleticism, usable like athleticism. Um, and that kind of gives me more confidence in how they're going to age, how their skills are going to age. Uh, and then like the hit tool combined with at least projectable power uh, and ideally like proven power mixed with athleticism, mixed with age to level, uh, it's just that they're all, it's all very important. All the stuff you mentioned, but it's, it's not a, uh, it's not a one size fits all type of thing. Like you have uh, like Justin Dearden with the Astros, he's going to rate terribly on any sort of age to level thing, but there's a lot of context there. And uh, he rates very well in all the other traits that you would look at other than age to level. Uh, you know, I think, uh, on the flip side of that coin, uh, Davis and De Los Santos with the Diamondbacks uh, is kind of the exact opposite. Like he's going to rate near the top of any sort of age to level thing that you want to do. Uh, but he has really bad swing decisions and he's got a really bad body. He's going to play at the bottom of the defensive spectrum. So he's got everything else working against him. Um, so it's just, we know it's all important. Uh, it's important to different degrees, depending on what else the players bring to the table. Like, you know, Curtis Mead is, he makes excellent swing decisions. He hits the crap out of the ball. Uh, great play to discipline. Uh, but he's not the most athletic guy. He's not going to play. He's not going to provide much value with his glove. Uh, so, but does that, how much does that matter if he's going to be awesome at everything else? And he's been excellent at, at uh, levels where he's been young for, for the level. Um, so just, you know, it's all kind of a mix. You're combining it, you're, you're doing your best, um, but it, it definitely varies uh, from player to player with what stuff matters and how much it matters. Uh, bounce back athletics. How do you feel about Jesus Aguilar's potential Reese Hoskins replacement? Uh, I love that one. Uh, as Melissa Lockard mentioned on last week's pod, uh, Aguilar should play more than the other like waiver wire replacements I would imagine are available in a, you know, like if you're asking about Jesus Aguilar, that tells me that uh, better first base options are, are already rostered as they probably should be. Um, you know, I would I'd probably take Darry Call over Reese Hoskins, but he he's probably already gone. So you're going to have to look for uh, lesser options. And I think Aguilar is, is a fine play because he's going to play a lot and maybe he can kind of uh, turn back time a little bit, uh, but at least he'll be you know, in the lineup getting played appearances. Uh, Joey DeClerc, uh, the Mariners seem to be a pitching factory. Do you think there's a top 100 ranking in Brian Wu's future? He seems close to the bigs. Uh, I wouldn't say Wu is super close to the big leagues, uh, but this this could be a breakout year for him if he can build up his workload. Uh, lots of reliever risk if he kind of stays in the 60 to 80 inning inning range for a second straight year. Uh, so I think that's like his path to a breakout is getting to you know 120 innings this year and maintaining his stuff deep into starts, throwing enough strikes. Uh, I think that would kind of qualify as a breakout. And if he does all that, we, we could be a top 100 prospect. Um, I also think I, I've heard this, like Seattle just gets kind of, um, you know, they get this sort of pitching factory 
tag. And I think it's a little overrated. They have a good pitching staff. Um, but I mean, they don't get credit for like Luis Castillo or Robbie Ray. Uh, they drafted George Kirby, which was the right pick. Uh, but I kind of give him more credit than I give them. Like, I think Kirby would have been great in most orgs. Uh, Andres Munoz was a great um, acquisition via trade, but uh, same thing. I think he would have been great in, in most orgs. Uh, Logan Gilbert, I think, is a developmental win for them. Uh, they also botched the Emerson Hancock pick. They couldn't develop Matt Brash as a starter. So I think they're they're one of the better orgs for developing pitching, but I don't think they're the cream of the crop when it comes to developing pitching. I think that's still uh, the Guardians, the Dodgers, the Brewers. Uh, I think they all have more developmental wins on their ledger uh, than the Mariners do. But if Bryce Miller and or Prelander Baroa or Wu, if those guys, if they can turn them into quality rotation arms, uh, then I think we can we could start talking about it a little bit more as them being kind of in that very upper echelon. Uh, Simon P says, uh, Eggy Rosario finished on a high note last year and was picking up steam until he got injured. Is he a good stash? And how do you see him fitting into the Padres' plans? Any other non-pitcher NL names that may be getting dinged due to injury or unimpressive years? Uh, you mentioned Robert Hassel. Any others? So Eggy Rosario, I think he just he kind of has the utility player look to me. Um, I'm not alone on that. I so I think he he's gonna have to break in as a utility player. Uh, from there, he could if he exceeds expectations, maybe he starts stealing someone's playing time. Maybe there's just enough injuries where he's kind of given uh, a prominent role, and maybe he makes the most of it. But uh, I see that that offensive side of that roster is, is pretty crowded right now. So I don't, I don't see this as kind of a breakout year for him. I think he'll just be kind of languishing, you know, between AAA and the majors, uh, not playing a ton when he's in the majors. Uh, I didn't necessarily find a, some NL hitters that fit your sort of ding due to injury or unimpressive years. Uh, Robert Hassel, He's dinged due to an un unimpressive year and injury, but uh, I don't, I wouldn't trade for him right now. Uh, Matt Mervis, Johnny DeLuca with the Dodgers, and uh, Travis Swaggerty might be some undervalued NL hitters uh, that you could go after, but uh, I guess Swaggerty kind of fits, fits what you're asking about a little bit. Um, okay. And then this is the, this is the catching section of the pod. Uh, I, I got a message from uh, a couple guys I played Dynasty with uh, after the rankings went live, and it was uh, something along the lines of, like, I see you're back to hating catching prospects again. Um, and I, you know, it's – I'll wear that as a badge of honor, honestly, and and that they didn't mean it as a, as a ding or anything. But um, I have a bunch of questions here about catchers who had down arrows uh, – so Chonkman says there was a big downgrade for, for Harry Ford. Um, and then Chris Johnson, I'm interested in why Harry Ford has double down arrows. Uh, O's flows. Can you elaborate on why Harry Ford and Dalton rushing have double down arrows beer bot? Just curious about the Austin Wells red arrow drop uh, Robert Easton. It doesn't look like much is blocking Bo Naylor. Um, why the double down arrows? Jock Thompson, why do you hate Yiner Diaz? 
So, you know, a lot of <laughs> similar questions about catchers who had uh, double down arrows. And uh, basically when I'm moving a guy up, when I'm moving, you know, a Mason Miller up or uh, Justin Dearden up or whoever, uh, it's just so much easier for me to move the catchers down than players I like at other positions. Uh, and I think, so I, I kind of came up with this, um, I'm going to call it the, the Christian Vasquez rule. And basically, if you are starting Christian Vasquez or a worse catcher than Christian Vasquez in your dynasty league, whether it's two catchers, one catchers, if that's someone that you're, you're plugging into your starting lineup, I think you can bump all the catching prospects up uh, back to sort of maybe where I had them before this update, even higher than that maybe if you want. Uh, but if you are starting, you know, even if you're starting like like Kiber Ruiz, uh, Travis Darno, something like that, I just I think it's it's fine. I think you will more catching prospects are going to keep popping up this year, the year after. You're not missing out on some crazy train here if you don't have one of these catchers that had double down arrows next to their name. Uh, there's going to be someone in your league that has a couple of these guys and they're going to be wanting to trade one of them because they can't start all their good catchers. Uh, it's just, it's just not like if I'm doing any kind of a dynasty startup, even if I have the catchers ranked higher than some guys below them, I might just skip past the catchers and take the other positions. Cause at, at a certain point, like you, you only need one extra catcher if that, uh, so if, if you're in a one-catcher league and you have a catcher you like, that just makes all the other catchers so much less valuable unless all your, unless you're just a wheeler and dealer, you're just making trades all the time, you, you think you can get value for your catchers and your trades. Uh, great, but uh, there's just so many teams in each dynasty league that have no, no need of these catching prospects. So I think uh, Andy Rodriguez, uh, Francisco Alvarez, Logan O'Hoppy, I think those guys – are good enough and close enough to the majors where I, I don't think that those guys had down arrows on this update. I, I think those guys are teams that a rebuilding team or a win now team is going to get plenty of, of value from this season. Uh, and I absolutely love Harry Ford. Uh, I love Dalton rushing. Um, I love Kevin Parada. I think, uh, Austin Wells is a little overrated uh, by some, but I think he's got a chance to be a top 10 catcher for fantasy. I think uh, Bo Naylor has an extremely high ceiling at the position. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think the guardians are ready to give Naylor uh, the primary job. Like I think Mike Zanino is so much more of a guardians catcher than Naylor. Uh, they love catcher defense. Uh so I think Naylor is just going to be working on his defense, working on his swing decisions. Uh, we probably see him in like July, maybe August, something like that. But even then, if, if uh, you know, I, I just, I think he'll be playing like more like 40% of the time if Zanita's healthy. And then uh, Yiner Diaz, um, I, that one I might be, I might've moved 
Yander Diaz down too low, Jack. Uh, I like the bat. Um, he, I think I'm a little worried that he's maybe kind of more of like a Luis Capusano, Francisco Mejia plays like 35, 45% of the time, even if he's hitting. Um, the Astros love catcher defense as well. Um, so just tough to know what to do with him. Um, but again, like if, if you need catching, if you're really hurting at that position in dynasty, feel free to, to bump all the catchers up. All right. John Hollingshed, how do the profiles of Jackson Merrill and Tamar Johnson compare? I have those guys ranked back to back. Uh, I think they very sneakily kind of similar players, even though they don't look similar. Um, Merrill is kind of more about the swing decisions and the OBP Johnson's more about the, the hit tool and the batting average, I guess. Uh, I'd probably give Merrill the slightest of edges in long-term power projection and Johnson the slightest of edges in stolen base upside. I do think Termar could be kind of a sneaky eight to 12 steel guy, um, but they're, they're very similar. Not only are they going to like get to the majors, I, I think, well, Merrill's on kind of a really fast track here, but uh, yeah, I think they could be ready for the big leagues around the same time. I think they could be sort of guys who help in batting average, help in power, help in runs, help in RBI, maybe chip in a little bit of stolen bases, but I think steals is going to be the worst category for, for both of them. So they're pretty similar. Uh, Tom Braun. Will James Outman be able to maintain his production at the major league level, even with a high K rate? Uh, so he, you know, I think Outman, if he can kind of just get the K rate around 28%, I think he's going to be useful for fantasy. I think he'll be able to stay in the lineup because of his defense. Uh, I think the projection systems are maybe a little too bearish on his K rate. Uh, most, most projection systems have him striking out about 31, 32% of the time. Uh uh, you know, part of that is just he's older. He struck out a bunch in a tiny sample in the majors last year. Um, but I, I thought his, I thought his swing decisions actually were, were pretty good at AAA. Um, so I, I think he's a, a fine mixed league outfielder heading into the year, probably going to sit against lefties. But um, if, if you're asking if I'm buying or selling James Outman, I, I'm buying Outman, I think right now. Um, M fest. Uh, I can't remember if this is if Mfest is the one who's always asking about Gordon Graceffo. I think I always get a Gordon Graceffo question. Uh, I I don't know. I think he's he's fine. He's a potential number four starter. Um, he he didn't strike out as many guys as I think the stuff and reputation uh, suggests he should. Uh, maybe he's just not finishing guys. Um, but I think partly it's the, the fastball gets talked about because of the velocity, but it, it plays below its 99-mile-an-hour velocity. Um, so I, I think Graceffo's, you know, he could be like a number four starter for the Cardinals, which is actually pretty useful for fantasy. That's a, it's a great team context. But uh, I don't have the greatest feel on Graceffo. Like he's the type of guy he could, he could take a step forward with a couple tweaks. Um he could run into like a bit of a wall against like the best hitters in the minors and against big league hitters. Um, so I, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Uh, and then he also wanted to know if I had any thoughts on Xavier Isaac. Uh, 
Isaac just looks like he looks like such a dude. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you saw like the videos of, from his Instagram account of him hitting home runs on the backfields and stuff. Uh, just yeah, he looks uh, like I get I get like Ryan Howard vibes for me, and Ryan Howard's probably you know, top three, top five most impressive power hitters I've ever seen live. Uh, you know, we we're going to need to see Isaac just mash at every stop um, for the reasons I mentioned earlier, but like he could just, he could be one of the breakout players in all the minors this year, just because the bat has a chance to be that special, but very little margin for error with Isaac. Uh, Kyle Shivers, you had Trey Lipscomb of the nationals ranked after the draft and he's been impressive in both the minors and spring training. Why isn't he on the top 400? Uh, just, you know, age to level, lack of game power. Uh, you know, he had an ISO under 100 as a 22-year-old at single A. So, um, yeah. Gabriel Garcia, is Josue DePaula the obvious candidate for a Jackson Churio, Ronald Acuna type of rise? Is it too early to imagine and then he also want to know, is it too early to imagine Dalton rushing being the best hitting catching prospect that Dodgers have acquired in recent times versus Will Smith and Diego Cartaya? Uh, so yes, I think DePaula is the most obvious candidate for a Jackson Churio type of rise. Uh, we'll see if that, if that, if that actually happens. But again, like if you make me pick a guy, I'll pick DePaula. And I think it is too early to suggest that Dalton Rushing is going to be a better hitting catcher than Will Smith. Uh, Will Smith is, you know, he's like number two dynasty catcher behind Adley. Um, he's awesome. Like, I, I love Will Smith as a, as a hitter. He, he doesn't uh, maybe hit the ball quite as hard as Rushing, but uh, he gets every everything out of his tools. Um, so I, w- I wouldn't say that. But I do think rushing is – he has a chance to hit enough to where even a team as loaded as the Dodgers is giving him starts at DH and at first base. So um, not trying to um, you know, put down rushing's upset as a hitter, but I think mentioning Will Smith – as someone that he might be better than is I think it is too early for that. Uh, Ross Redkay is anything preventing River Ryan from having a Gavin Stone type of breakout this year? And then Cody Martin wanted to know who is River Ryan and at 24 years old is aged level a concern. What do you like about him? So River Ryan, you definitely got to look at the context here with his age Uh, and age to level generally isn't a major concern for me with pitching prospects. Like we can get good enough info on the quality of most pitching prospects uh, stuff that that kind of overrides any sort of age to level issue. Um, The Dodgers got river Ryan from the Padres for Matt Beattie uh, shortly after Ryan was converted from a position player to a pitcher a year ago. And then he really broke out last year in his first full season as a pitcher and as a Dodger uh, usually converted position players are fast tracked as relievers, but Ryan's got enough pitches to start and 
he really just needs to throw enough strikes. Sometimes just the, you know command, it's tough. Uh, sometimes the converted position players just end up in the bullpen because they can't throw enough strikes. Um, so, but but the stuff is really good. Uh, generate a lot of buzz this spring. Uh, so I think there is a there obviously is an arrow up arrow next to River Ryan's name on my rankings, and he's kind of right around where Gavin Stone was uh, a year ago. Like I think we, I talked about Gavin Stone more last off season than I have River Ryan. Uh, but yeah, I think like if River Ryan stays healthy and gets the walks under control, there's no reason he can't be seen as one of the best pitching prospects in the game a year from now. Uh, Yukon Jack, what is your gut feeling about Luis Angel Acuna? I think he could be a really useful fantasy option in the right role on a rebuilding team. Uh, like I think he, I think Acuna could steal 30 bases and hit 15 homers with kind of a mediocre average, but he can play uh, several positions. I think he could get on base just enough to kind of keep playing uh, every day, but I don't really see how it happens in Texas. And Texas also has like Ezekiel Duran, who's kind of doesn't have a spot to play uh, Justin Foscue. So it's kind of a crowded situation. They really put the pedal to the metal on turning this thing like they they tried to skip all the rebuilding steps basically in texas by signing a bunch of veterans and in doing so they you know they still got room for josh young i think they've got room for dustin harris and left field uh but the, you know they don't have room for these other guys i don't think um so i think acuna another guy kind of like andy andy pajas uh, could use a trait uh, Tom Brown, it doesn't seem like the Twins like to run much. Does that hinder Emmanuel Rodriguez's dynasty value? Uh, no, because I'm actually not factoring in really any speed with Rodriguez. So all I'm looking at with Rodriguez is the impact potential of his bat. Um, I just I I look at him. I don't see a guy who's stealing bases, whether he's on the Twins or not on the Twins. But I see a guy who could hit 40 home runs and could do so with a, with a high OBP. So that, that's what it's all about with Rodriguez. I would not be factoring in the stolen bases to his value at all. Uh, Stephen Hemke, which two players currently in your top 30 were the hardest to rank uh, based on the organization they are with and their inability to develop players? Uh, nobody really. Uh, if you're that good of a prospect, if you're a top 30 prospect, uh, probably not dinging you for your organization. Um, the guys who are the hardest to rank, like, well, you know, maybe I would ding James Wood for his organization just because the Nationals are going to be absolutely terrible for the next four or five years. And so, you know, they're you're probably going to be getting worse counting stats than if he was on a, a real team. But, uh, for the most part, like the guys who are really hard for me to rank who are in the top 30 are the injured guys like Royce Lewis and Andrew Painter. Um, Oswald Peraza, tough to rank because it's just kind of a waiting game for when he gets to play. Um, but I, I didn't downgrade anyone because of their team's uh, inability to develop players in the top 30. Uh, 
Joel Wesseling, did James Wood do something to cause him to move down? Uh, not really. Uh, I just moved up about a half dozen or so players, uh, all of whom were basically just way closer to the majors. Um, you know, I, it, I still have, like, I have Drew Jones, Jackson Holiday, just a couple spots away from Wood. I prefer Jones and Holiday to Wood, but they're still really close. You know, I don't think there's, I think the problem I think is that I think some people are just putting the cart before the horse with, with Wood and sort of thinking he's a no doubt top 10 prospect. I just don't buy that. Um, he's two years away at least and uh, hasn't shown anything against upper level pitching. So we'll see. Um, Matt on hello. You are a lot lower on warming Bernabelle of the Rockies than the rest of the industry. Uh, 400 prospects are rostered in my league, but Michael Garcia of the Royals is not. Can you explain why you don't like Bernabelle and you love Garcia? So Bernabelle swings at everything and is not a good defender and doesn't like it's sort of uh, sort of like hit tool like you're it's not even hit tool because he, I mean, he makes really poor swing decisions. He makes contact. He can make contact with a ton of pitches, but he makes contact with too many pitches. He swings at too many pitches uh, and he doesn't have impact power. Uh, and he's not going to run uh, much in the majors, in my opinion. And he's not a good defender. So I just, I don't think Bernabel, he does not look like a future big league regular to me. He just doesn't check. He's good at – he can make contact with a lot of pitches, and that's pretty much the one thing he does well. Uh, Michael Garcia is a really strong defender uh, at valuable positions. Um, you know, He could give you plus defense at second base or, or solid defense at shortstop, uh, and he's steadily tapped into more and more power while maintaining an excellent hit tool. And I think Michael Garcia can steal double-digit bases – if he's playing regularly. So I just think he gets the edge everywhere over Bernabel. I don't really see anything that points in Bernabel's favor there. Uh, Craig Schumann is the swing and miss for Carson Williams. Why he is so low for you. Yep. That's, that's what it is. Uh, defense is great. Power is great. Um, these guys are tough. Like the, um, I mean, Williams is a much better defender than Oralvis Martinez, but like those types of guys where you could see the stuff that they do really, really well, and you can see the stuff that they do really poorly. And it's just, it's hard to know exactly how it's all going to mesh and um, come together at the big leagues. But uh, I think Williams will get to the majors via his defense, but he, he does need to improve as a hitter. Corey, uh, who would you pick up if available out of Aston Barger? Michael Garcia and Mason Miller. Uh, Barger, then Miller, then Garcia. But they're close enough that uh, you could let team need factor in. Uh, Ulysses, your assessment of the top three prospects starting pitchers to make an impact this year. So just 2023 pitching prospects for big league value only. Hunter Brown, Hayden Wesneski, Brandon Fott. Uh, I'd have Grayson Rodriguez four here. I think he gets fewer innings than those three guys in the big leagues, 
um, probably not an insignificant amount fewer. And he's already starting in the in the minors. Uh, he comes with a more recent arm injury than than either of those three. So I'll go with Hunter Brown, Hayden Wesneski, and Brandon Fott. O's flows, Ricky Tiedemann falling due to health concerns or proximity or both. Uh, just, you know, getting passed by, like, getting passed by someone like uh, Brandon Fott and Hunter Brown. Um, shoulder issue. You know, that's not nothing. I, I think he will be pitching in the majors later this season, but uh, that could turn into something bigger. And it's just the the chance that he was going to have just a, a great spring training, like kind of a Alec Manoa spring training from a couple of years ago or uh, Andrew Painter spring training from before he got injured this year. That chance was factored into his ranking. Um we can rule that out as a possible outcome. Now he did not have that type of spring. So we know we're waiting multiple months for him to get up. And so now that takes just a, an extreme high end outcome off the table there. Uh, Bob Osgood, two of your biggest fallers were Pete Crow Armstrong and Pedro Leone. Was there something in the spring performance for PCA that was concerning? And with Leone, he was at one time uh, top 25. What changed for you there? Uh, so with Leone, um just the 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 power and the speed that led to me ranking him high is still there uh but he's had multiple kind of cracks at, at improving as a hitter since i had him in the top 25 and he has not done so uh i don't think he's a complete lost cause as a hitter but uh, I found out from a scout this spring that his defense in center field is quite a bit worse than I realized. I didn't think he was great out there, but I thought he was at least playable. Uh, doesn't really sound like he is. So that put, you know, the, the fact that he can't really play center field for a team with World Series aspirations and that he still has ways to go with the hit tool, you know, I just, chances are low that the power and speed end up mattering the way that I thought they, they would. Uh, and then PCA, it was just uh, as a profile. I felt comfortable moving down a little bit as I was moving guys up, but my thoughts on him haven't really changed. It's just kind of a, you know, if you're kind of in that uh, 40, 50, 60 range and guys are moving up, you know, it's kind of like, well, why, why shouldn't I move you down? while I'm moving these guys up. And I, I thought Crow Armstrong was just, he's the type where you know, I kind of want to see what he does uh, this year. And um, yeah, I, I just, I chose to kind of sacrifice him a little bit in favor of some others, but I, my thoughts on PCA haven't really changed. Uh, Ryan wind Schittle thoughts on Mason Miller. Uh, obviously um, Melissa had the, the comments that uh, the scout, the stat line guys tweeted out on from the pod last week about uh, how he, they, the A's are more excited about Mason Miller than uh, any pitching prospect of the last 20 years. Um, that's, you know, that's kind of hyperbole, right? But uh, his stuff is great. Uh, upper nineties, fastball touches a hundred uh, plus slider. 
and he just needs to stay healthy. He needs to build up his innings. Um, I think he's he's got a chance to be up uh, for a couple months this year. Even if he if he's pitching well, I don't see why they would keep him in the minors all year. But um, needs to needs to prove that he's a starter and not a reliever. But the stuff is there. I think the command and, and control are there as well. Uh, Net golfer twenty four. What timeline can we expect for Jordan Lawler and Curtis Mead? And then Dimitri, thoughts on Curtis Mead in regards to ETA, long term position, and or comps. Uh, so Jordan Lawler, um, it's a tough timeline to to kind of peg because they don't really have any good shortstops. But I don't know if they're completely done giving Geraldo Perdomo opportunities. I don't know if they are going to want to give Blaze Alexander a shot before giving Jordan Lawler a shot. Uh, so th- those could be factors. Uh, from what I understand, Lawler, the main thing he's going to be working on in the minors this year is his defense, not his offense. Um, you know, the, everyone's saying that they think he can stick at shortstop, but I think if he shows improvements with his defense at shortstop, we could see him this summer. And then, uh, Curtis Mead, I think we see Mead in uh, April or May, uh, maybe June. If we don't see him by mid June, I'm going to be pretty upset. Um, but I, I think I think Mead's ready. It's uh, just kind of give give some of these other guys a shot, and then give Mead the. I think he'll play second base mostly too. Um, he could play some third maybe, but with the arm thing uh dh second base kind of the main spots i think for mead and then uh comps for mead uh i i think he's kind of like an upside comp is peak anthony rendon peak robinson cano like that type of just 300 310 315 type of hitter with 30 homers 25 30 homers um who hits second. Um, so that's, that's pretty great. Uh, Matt Humphrey wanted to hear your thoughts on Cam Collier and what led to the double down arrow there. Uh, with Collier, I think it was just a bad rank on the last one. Uh, I was on the clock in at least one first-year player draft where I ended up going Zach Neto over, over Collier. And then I even started debating Collier versus Jet uh, in, in some of these. So, uh like I, I moved him closer to Jet Williams and um, further away from from Neto, it feels feels better because he is look like he's been very very impressive. But Collier might be legitimately four years away, so that's that's a long time in a dynasty league. Uh, Stinky McLinkerson, when do you think Andy Rodriguez gets the call, and where do you think he'll play defensively? I think he gets the call in June. I think he plays catcher, DH, maybe some second base. O's flows. Uh, this season's buzz pro- buzz monsters seem to be Miguel Blaise, Josue DePaula, Emmanuel Rodriguez, Junior Caminero, and Spencer Jones. But you're lower on these guys than many other rankers. Why is that? <laughs> uh, well, I I didn't know. I I kind of knew I was lower on Spencer Jones than some rankers. Uh, I know like Eric Longenhagen has Miguel Blaise way higher than I do. I did. I don't really know where people have DePaula, Rodriguez, Caminero. I would have thought I would be higher on those guys. Um, 
like, am I lower on Caminero having him at 40 than, uh, than other guys? I, I don't know. I, I feel very comfortable with where I have those guys. Uh, I like all those guys. I mean, I do think Spencer Jones was getting a little overrated earlier this offseason, just based on what he's what he's shown so far and, and the competition he's shown it against. Uh, the X-Velocity stuff is, is doing a little too much heavy lifting, I think, with Spencer Jones. But um, I don't want to be considered the low guy on Blaise, DePaula, Rodriguez, or Caminero. But I've also, you know, I'm always trying to get better as a ranker. And some of my biggest mistakes in recent years have been kind of anointing guys like this as sort of like like putting the actual production and performance to the back and saying, I think they're just going to do it. So I'm just going to skip the steps and put them in the top 25, uh, top 20 or top 30 or whatever. Um, so I, I think an adjustment I've tried to make is to not – like I, I'm so excited about Junior Caminero. Where do I rank him? Uh, I just think it's a mistake to put him top 20 already, even if I think he probably gets there at some point. Um, it's just baseball's really hard. Um, there's a lot of good prospects. It's just There just are. There's so many good prospects, I think – these guys need to prove it a little bit more, show it a little bit more. I mean, putting Josue DePaula in the top 75 and he hasn't even played stateside games officially yet. So uh, I think I'm being plenty aggressive and maybe people are just being more aggressive than me, but I feel good with where I got these guys. All right, Curtis Jones in a 15-team, 48-player plus IL slots. Should we generally not roster prospects outside your top 400? Uh the top 100 is generally fully owned and the top 200 is maybe half owned. Uh, this sounds kind of close to my doubles rejects league I play in. And I would say my advice for you with the prospects there is uh, you're, you should be chasing upside hitters and you should be ch- chasing uh, proximity players like otherwise. Like, so uh, the guys I just talked about, like those, those upside buzzy guys, you should roster those guys in a league like this. You should roster the Justin Deardens and the, you know, any any player that is going to spend a good chunk of the year in the majors. Uh, and then you should just be kind of cycling the other spots, trying to hit on the next sort of upside guy or, or breakout guy. Um, you don't want to be rostering too many pitchers, like pitching prospects. Um, but I think I think you got a good feel for it, Curtis. Uh, like half the top 200 being being owned sounds about right to me. You shouldn't even really be looking past my like 225th, 230th ranked prospect really in that league. Uh, Bill Castro, is it worth holding on to Christian Encarnacion Strand or cycling the bench on guys like James Outman and Will Benson? Uh, definitely take take Outman or you know Benson. I could even see the case for him, but definitely take Outman over over international strand um, similar upside one, one guy's in the majors, the other guy's not. Um, okay. So I've got some other questions. I'm going to include those in the article that's going to go up tomorrow. Um, but that was all I was able to get to on the podcast version. Uh, this has been the Roadwire fantasy baseball podcast brought to you by underdog 
and Fantrex, and I appreciate you all stopping by. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.